Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now on with the show. One of them just started to clap and then the next one started to clap. And halfway through this gate of kids, I had 50 school kids clapping and cheering me on. They had no idea that I was running a marathon for the first time in my life, that I was, you know, a mile or two from finishing it, that this was day 500, that, you know, this is something that I had, you know, that had a lot of emotional weight for me. And they just cheered, earnestly cheering and clapping for me as I passed through. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of One Step Beyond, a show all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. And on this episode, I'm happy to have as my guest somebody I know only so well, somebody who lives kind of in my region, who I bump into occasionally on the ski slopes and while running up mountains. And previously in his, uh, I guess his night job, actually his weekend night job of co-running a wine bar with his wife, Tracy. You're going to hear all about that in the episode that follows. I also want to just give you a heads up in case you didn't um, check the uh, the title or the show notes or anything uh, that we deal here with uh, with death, with uh, uh, the, the, the loss of somebody personal and the coping and grieving process of getting through that, which um, uh, Jamie applied very, very much to positively engaging with the world outside our door. I don't want any of you to be surprised by any of that and at the same time um trying to just get the balance right well the subject could not be more serious in that regard um there are as ever enormous positives to be gained from this episode from jamie's story and of course naturally i trust and hope and invite you to listen along and hear about all of those positives and uh, I trust that you will enjoy the journey just as Jamie appeared to have enjoyed his journey of undertaking 505 k's in 500 days. I feel like this show has done a lot in the past with uh, lengthy preambles and introductions and certainly back in the days when this was going out on the radio station I kept it pretty timely told you what I was up to etc etc. I prefer right now to just get into the meat of the interview itself. There are, as ever, just uh, a few minor edits. I usually take myself out of here uh, more than I do so my guests. Try and keep this as close to an hour as possible. And um, to that end, I often find the first couple of minutes I'm chatting with somebody, we're really setting the scene as a, as a writer. 
I often delete the first paragraph I write and almost always the first sentence. So I'm going to do the same with the uh, with the interview. There's a little bit of a setup between us and uh, we just talk about how uh, Jamie uh, saw me not too long ago when I was on the escarpment trail race this summer and um, I talk about how something he posted on Instagram brought me around to wanting to feature him as a guest and then uh, I kind of just like jump into his life running the wine bar with his wife and with that I'm going to invite you to um, not really sit back I'm going to invite you to get on out into the great outdoors as we prepare with Jamie Kennard to go one step beyond had a lovely little business going when I use the past tense fortunately it still is going with different owners um, please tell us a little bit about that you, you're completely free to, to toot your own horn on this one uh, <laughs> lovely um, little place yeah thanks um, so I used to own a uh, small wine bar called Brunette that opened back in 2015 and I think you and I first came to know each other. Um, I as your bartender. Um, mm. And we hosted um, a handful of really great nights with PJ Gray from Upstate Soul Club. And he would come in and spin um, soul uh, vinyl in the bar. And you being a music aficionado would often make appearances there um, and pull up a stool to the bar. And I think that's where we, you and I first got to got to chat. Um, but Brunette, you're correct. Um, Brunette is now in the hands of um, some new wonderful owners. Um, the bar was sold in 2020 in the spring. Um, but I, uh, I had a chance to run uh, and co-own the bar with my wife, Tracy, for five years in Kingston. Um, and that period was a really great, um, a great time for us just to become really immersed in the community up here. Um, she and I had been part-timers for about 10 years prior to that. Um, but around 2015, we decided to open a wine bar and kind of throw ourselves into full-time living up here in the Catskills and also sort of immerse ourselves in the community and the business community. And um, yeah, so that was... Um, that was um, sort of from 2015 to 2020, and uh, I think that's where you and I first met. Yeah, that that's right. And I would have been driving in from Mount Tremper back in those days, uh, just for just for a little bit of soul music, and yeah. see, you know, maybe the one glass the one glass of wine to last me the evening before I, I sensibly drove back. You know, drove back sensibly, yeah. and uh, yeah, the lovely lovely little spot. And I was just down that area, the Rondout, just a week Saturday before last, and and Brunette was absolutely packed, absolutely packed. So yeah, it know, makes me really happy that um, it continues on, and um, Jesse and Max. Uh, are the new owners and they're running it very much in the same spirit um, that it was uh, running before. And that, that makes me really happy. Yeah. And I, I, I not that we're going to talk too much about the wine and the wine but business here today, but it was very much about sort of organic or minimal intervention wines. It was sort of yep. what you might call boutique wines. And uh, as such, you know, it, 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 uh, it was that kind of evening out. It wasn't just like, Hey, you want a, you know, a Maloa or a Chardonnay? We got, we got Californian for both. There was a lot, yeah. there was a lot going into that. Um, you know, we've used the we we've used the past tense. I mean, for for me, the the reason that I went from uh, you know, and the fact that we're Catskills 
uh, neighbours, even if we've sort of swapped over a little bit of late. I don't, I, I've had a fair few people locally on this show, but I've got a lot of people from completely other countries. Um, I'm used to doing these on Zoom more often now. And um, it's nice to get somebody back local where we can talk about your previous business, etc. But there's a good chance I would have had you on regardless if I had been aware um of you, you know, if somebody else had introduced me and I wasn't following you already. A few weeks back, you posted on Instagram. Um, I had not caught the start of this because I don't spend my life on Instagram, but I caught the end of this, the end of um, uh, an enormous test you set yourself, a very varied test, and the kind of thing that really appeals to me and I thought was the... Um, the, yeah, the, the thing to get you on to talk about, though, there's so much more as well, because you were described in one of our local magazines as uh, the, the, the Hudson Valleys or the Catskills Modern Renaissance Man. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that headline was bantered around, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, so we've got plenty to get through. But tell tell listeners, uh, please, what, what was the year-long uh, undertaking that you did? And if you don't mind, can you tell me why you took it on as well? Everybody would sure. want to know why, but there's a reason I say if you don't mind. Yeah, don't and mind. I think this sort of dovetails back to the bar and why the bar was sold. Um, in uh, middle of 2019, uh, my wife, Tracy, was diagnosed with stage four nasal pharyngeal cancer. And that's a uh, cancer that um, the original tumor was um, sort of up in the nasal cavity. So it's kind of considered a head and neck cancer. Um, and that certainly changed a lot about our lives um, in 2019. And she immediately went into treatment. And I continued to run the, the wine bar business for another half a year on, on my own, along with uh, the staff there. And in early 2020, made the decision to sell that business to the new owners and really focus on caring for Tracy and, and sort of became her, already was, but really became her full-time caregiver. Um, and that would be um, my life and and sort of her life for the next two years, um, really focusing on on um, her battle with the, the cancer. Um, Tracy lost, um, she lost that battle in November of 2021. And, you know, there was a period um, which anyone would go through of sort of grief and, and reckoning and and that started, you know, immediately. And certainly I went through some, some ups and downs and some, some pretty tough turns. Um, and it was in, in June of the following year when we had the memorial for Tracy and um, which was a really wonderful weekend with, with her friends and our friends. And um, the day after her memorial, I decided to, I guess sort of give myself a personal challenge to go out and just move my body every day. And I thought I was going to um, just start with five, five kilometers, just see if I could go out and run, walk, hike five kilometers every day. And, you know, I was doing okay um, mentally at that point, but I was still having I was still having, uh, I was still grappling with some things, and this was kind of a way to just force me outside, get me off the computer, get me off social media, just really like a, a way to sort of clear my head um, every day and to just move my body. And I think we all know that you go out and you do exercise, and most people feel better. Um, 
you know, after they've gone out and exerted some, some energy. And so, um, so yeah, that was sort of how I started. And I didn't really know if, you know, it didn't really start with the full year. I kind of started like, can I do it for 30 days? And then I did it for 30 days. And then can I do it for, you know, two months? And then it was six months. Um, I sort of, um, you know, I didn't want to set the bar too high, but as I sort of reached these milestones, I kept on moving the the carrot a little bit farther out. And I think when I hit that six month mark, I knew that, you know, I knew I could probably make it to a year, but you just, you never know. You get injured, you get sick, life takes over. Um, and, and yeah, I think probably you, when you start, yeah. Cool. You made it, you made it to a year. You made it to a I, full year. I, I made it to a year. And not only did I make it to a year, I kept on going and I made it to 500 days, um, this past October. Um, and that is when I decided to, um, take a pause. So, so 500 times five Ks, um, which of itself is a wonderful achievement but i do want to stop and and i said before we, we pressed roll you know and there's there's nothing i can say here that's not going to sound trite or shallow i do want to sort of pause on behalf of anybody who's listening offer condolences and and i'm sure you've you know you, you you've had them and i want to make sure that the, the those are on record um i don't think any of us who haven't gone through something like this can begin to imagine um, I've got a couple of friends who have lost kids. Um, you know, we're talking about immediate family, the people you're closest to, the people that you um, that you love most most dearly. I I cannot claim any understand. You know, I I can be empathetic. I can claim no understanding of what that must yeah. have been like to yeah. go through. Yeah, it was. You know, it was certainly losing someone is is difficult for anyone, and the grief process is always extremely difficult and the grief process is different for everyone um tracy and i um we met when we were 15 years old uh we started dating when we were 16 and so we were partners i guess in life for um, almost 31 years and we were married for 20 and i guess just to put in context i'm I'm still in my forties. So, um, yeah, so we, you know, we spent a lot, it was, yeah, we spent a lot, a long time together. Um, you know, the funny, I think we often, despite our longevity as partners, we waited a long time to attempt to run a business together, which was brunette. Um, she and I both had separate businesses outside of that. Um, but yeah, um, you know, and just to bring this back around and to, I guess, talk a little bit more about the 5K a day, uh, part of, again, part of doing that was to get myself out and get moving. But it was, I had also realized at that point um, that I just, I, that the grief process for me personally was, um, it had been a little bit more difficult than I had anticipated. And I, and getting outside every day really, just it gave me a chance it gave me an hour gave me two hours to just exhale um and to either sort of work through that grief or to not think about it or just to have a a blank mind or to totally focus on 
the grieving process. Um, but it really just, um, that it gave me, it gave me a little bit of space every day to, to just do what I needed to, to do. Um, yeah. I'm glad you set yourself that challenge. I have noticed, I mean, I, I have lost, um, friends and, and, um, and an in-law at this sort of very similar age. It just seems like there's, there's, there's a, for me, it has seemed like there's an age around the 40s where suddenly, uh, and I don't know if there was any inkling, anything in family history, anything, but suddenly people that are just like alive and well and with you are suddenly got a stage four cancer. And I've had that yeah. happen to a, to a few people who've been very close to me, but they, you know, it's not direct family. That's why I'm saying I can't, oh, yeah. I can't get that close. But one thing I, I am aware of is, is everybody rallies around in, in the immediate um, aftermath and we're all there for our friends. Um, we, we, and we say we're there for our friends, but once, once the memorial has been had and sort of, you know, the cards are cleaned up and, and, and those friends go back to their regular lives, I, I'm aware that it's very, very difficult for the bereaved. And I think that's when things can get really hard. So I think that, that, that just, just from that perspective alone, recognizing that at your end hang on this is this is the point at which i could go down a a, a a darker hole let me let me preempt that let me not even wait for that to happen let me preempt that that's a pretty exactly. smart decision yeah, yeah exactly. now now had you chosen to and, and, and i will circle back around to tracy later on because there, there's um uh a uh i'm trying to think if it's called an award or exactly what there is a fellowship in her honor and i want to circle back around to that and talk more about her but to talk about how you coped um i know people who've done running streaks that's very common there's lots of people run every day this is not a matter of doing a 5k run every day because although i find that myself really tedious it's doable um, so, so let's, let's have, let's, let's, let's get a bit more upbeat and a little bit more challenging. What are yeah. some of the things that you did over this year, over this 500 days, uh, of yeah. 5k? And did you stop every day at 5k? I mean, if a, presumably if a mountain to, was 5k high, you would have to do 10k cause you'd want to come down. Sure. Again. Yeah. So I, I called it my 5k day and really the 5k was just the minimum. Um, so the, the, the parameters that I gave myself were, it had to be minimum of five kilometers, which is a little over three miles, and it had to be outside. So it's not a treadmill. It's not riding on the Peloton. Um, it's five you know, minimum five kilometers outside, rain or shine, no excuses. And so I had started mostly with cycling, and I was new to cycling when I started. And that in cycling and, and hiking was kind of how I dipped my toes in, into the challenge. And a few months into it, I traveled out west for a week um, of fly fishing and I couldn't bring my bike out there. So I threw a pair of running shoes in. And historically, I have always been uh, one to loathe running. I had never <laughs> run more than five kilometers in my right. entire life until I started this daily challenge. And when I was on this trip, I needed to... Um, I needed to knock a 5k out pretty quickly because I was fishing most of the day and I really only had about an hour to to tick that box. And so I started running when I was out west on this trip and came back and I kind of forced myself to do it a little bit more the following month and a little bit more that winter. And it just started to break through the point of actually enjoying it a little bit. And then I had a friend that asked me to participate in a 50 mile team running race called rock mm -hmm. the ridge and 
um, that would require me as a team member to run about a half marathon's worth, um, about 13 miles. And I rebuffed and rebuffed and rebuffed him for a couple months. And I finally just said, you know what, why not? And so I said yes and started running a little bit more consistently and stopped um, or stopped cycling as much. And, you know, fast forward to where I am today, I love running. I probably run three or four times a week, maybe between six to eight miles. Um, but I really, um, I've really come to love and appreciate it. And I, I never thought that I would. I really despise it for almost my entire life. Um, you wrote on this big Instagram post that you were never an athlete at core, but you do have uh, one 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 aspect of your your outdoor activity. I mentioned that we met met over at Hunter Ski Mountain one day. You were the one who recognised me. Um, even about ten years ago, you pulled off something that I think you may have been uh, you and your friend uh, was it you and your brother. You may have been the very first person to do it. Is that right? And you know what I'm talking about. Please, tell us. <laughs> I, I, I do. Yeah, my brother Doug and I were the the first two people to uh, backcountry ski the the Catskill 3500 um sort of the the mountain range that most of the the hikers around here um aspire to hike so they're 35 35 peaks and yeah we finished that um we finished that back in 2014 um we started it or I had started it just the tail end of 20 2012. So it's probably best for me just to jump in here and give a little bit of quick background. The Catskill 3500s are the 35 peaks in the Catskills Mountains that are above 3500 feet. And you can get a badge by hiking them all. Uh, it can take you uh, a lifetime. It took me about 15, 20 years. A lot of people like to do them in one year. People have a thing going the grid. A lot of people like to hike them in winter. Uh, however, uh, nobody had previously skied all of them. Um, and of course, skiing all of them does mean doing so in winter. It obviously means you have to hike up to the top of each of these peaks to be able to register yourself in the canister, prove that you've been there because about half of them are off trail, meaning they're bushwhacks, meaning they don't have any regular blazes. You have to find your own way to the top and you have to find your own way to the canister to prove that you found your own way to the top. So in all of these situations, uh, Jamie and his brother would have been uh, what's called skinning their particular skis they do need to be uh, special skis to the top of the mountain and then finding their own way down uh, safely and neither of those would be easy so there's some background for you uh, we have also featured on this show and her name is going to come up again later on back in the first season julie mcguire on an episode called the backcountry bug and um, she was somebody who herself talked a lot about this backcountry skiing and what it entails and with that, I'm going to get back to asking Jamie all about this particular pre previous prior endeavor. Uh, what was the impetus for taking that on? Because that, as you, I mean, like we say, you're the first people to do it. That's 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 a big achievement. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really know what that initial spark was. Um, I, you know, I had hiked them all, all of the mountains, um, mostly during the summer, so I was familiar with them. I think that. I had started to loosely get into the idea of, of backcountry skiing. I have a friend that lives out in Jackson, Wyoming. And so I would go out there and we would sort of ski um, what they call side country, where you take a lift up and you, you kind of ski out of bounds a little bit, and then you cut back into the resort. And 
it just felt like it seemed possible on some of the trails that I had hiked. And I just, I mean, it was just one of those things. I don't know. I just, I just decided to sort of start with one, see if I could do it. And I, you know, I think I did one or two and, and told my brother what I was thinking about doing. And my brother lives up outside of Rochester, about four hours away. And he said, I want to do it with you. And so he started driving down and we just, we just started trying to tick them off. And it was just, um, it was a challenge. Um, and I guess just to sort of, um, you know, you mentioned that a lot of them were bushwhacks and in the Catskills, that means really tight trees. It means saplings. It means rocks. There's just, there's just obstacles everywhere. And I think something that has given Doug and I um, a little bit of an edge and just made us feel more comfortable attempting this is that we both grew up ski racing and particularly he and I were pretty, we were pretty good slalom skiers and in slalom and ski racing, you are physically hitting the gates. You're trying to get as close as possible. And so we were close, you know, we were pretty competent, tight turn skiers, and we were used to smacking into things and getting some, some bumps and bruises. And so that gave us um, quite possibly a little bit of an edge, but I tell people that skiing or backcountry skiing in the Catskills, I, I call it survival skiing. Um, and sometimes that literally means you're, you don't even have your poles in your hands. You're really just grabbing onto trees and saplings and moving things out of the way a little bit. And you're taking your time getting down and yeah, it's, it's much more of a challenging uh, pursuit than, um, than sort of fun, um, powder. That's funny. I was just about to say to you, it does, you're not making it sound like fun, was it? But you must have had, you must have been laughing at some of the, some of the times you were coming down. I mean, there are hard I mean, challenges. For, and for sure. Sometimes you, you just, you get to some spot and the, and the trees open up and, or it just snowed a ton and you're just having the best time and you find the perfect line down. And yeah, that those moments are bliss that's not really why we're doing it. Um, you always hope for those moments, but you're, you know, the reason Doug and I were doing it was the challenge of just, can we do it personally? Um, and, you know, are there some fun ski routes to be had um, along the way? But yeah, really it was sort of a physical, physical and mental challenge and just to see you know, it's just a way to take your skiing to a, um, a different place and just right. to, um, just to hone your skills in a different way. And not just like your ski skills, your traveling in the mountains, your backcountry skills. And I mean, I say backcountry in the general sense of just being attuned to what's happening out there, what the weather is, what the dangers are, um, just making yourself sort of a better outdoors person. I have to ask, even though it was 10 years ago and we're going to get to your 500, back to your 500 days, favorite mountain, um, favorite mountain to have skied down. What was the greatest run? Like, like what was the, the purest run there? Is there one that comes straight to mind? Yeah, it was sort of near the end of our, of our quest. Um, it was North Dome. It was actually the, I think that day it was, it was in the springtime. So the, the sunlight was, a, we had a little bit more daylight to work with. We had skied some peaks earlier in the day um, and just coming off of North Dome, if anyone has hiked it from Spruceton Road, you'll know that there's a lot of cliff bands to navigate. And for whatever reason, the snowpack was really deep. 
it was late in the afternoon. It was sort of that perfect sunlight coming through and just the ski down was, you know, I was expecting it to be sort of a, sort of a pain and riddled with these cliff bands that maybe you couldn't jump down or ski around. And I just was sort of a little bit worried about that. And we just, we just had the perfect, the perfect descent down and yeah, it was, it, it was a sort of a great, a great ending. Um, Beautiful. I will, yeah. And it, it was kind of the last, when we finished, we finished on March 10th, 2014 and the seven days leading up to that, I had taken off from work. There had been a ton of natural snow in the Catskills that week prior. And I think between between Doug and I, we skied, I think close to about four, 12 to 14 peaks that, that week. We, we just had this perfect window of really deep snow. And we just, we just got up every morning and we were skiing one, two or three mountains a day. And that would mean skiing mountain somewhere, getting in the car and racing over and skiing and hiking another yeah. one. So we were, we were putting in some really long days to try to just finish it out oh, while we had a, a, that's yeah. fantastic another uh, just yeah. a really quick answer to this one what was the hardest mountain to ski down well for me personally and i wasn't with doug this uh i just i got out early in december i had brand new equipment you know it's one of those uh, way too eager um really deep snowfall came in early i was totally out of shape it was almost one of the shortest days of the year as far as daylight and I just got into a lot of technical issues. Um, this was on fur, um, which is a bushwhack. And yeah, I, I iced it, you know, skins iced up, equipment that I wasn't familiar with, couldn't find my headlamp once the sun went down, yeah. didn't pack it, enough food and water. I mean, just everything, everything that could go it was, wrong. Absolutely. That's just what I was going to say. Everything oh. that could go wrong did go wrong. Yeah. yeah. I've had those okay. days where, especially actually where you're over-enthusiastic to begin with, and those are sort of the yeah. worst days, the days where you go, yeah. like you race out the door because you think you've got it all together and your enthusiasm gets the better of you. And you're like, oh, I left this at home and yeah. I, haven't I haven't prepped this. All right, I hear you. I hear you yeah. on that. And I want to ask you, similar questions about some of the things that you did on this uh, 500 days of 5Ks. But I'm, I'm going to actually get back to the the more poignant um, ones first because, because yeah, for listeners outside the Catskills, the last five minutes will have made like yeah, very little sense except I think they'll have maybe said, well, that actually does sound like a cool challenge and maybe I'll look at the Catskills. Maybe I'll – can I do something similar myself? It is you know, at the point we're recording this. It's the start of December. It's the start of ski season here on the East Coast and Northern Hemisphere for sure. So that's all, that's all good. But I, I want to get back to um, the emotional aspect of this and sort of like um, – uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say like get to the end of the 500 days, but it's not. I think sort of daily. Can I ask what you learned about yourself undertaking this and also what you learned about life and loss and this crazy journey we're all on that I don't think any of us have the right to claim we fully understand? Yeah, I think I, think I learned, and I sort of knew this kind of going into it, but I learned to just give myself a little bit more leeway um, to not rush things. And I think I learned this before I started the challenge, but after Tracy had passed and, you know, as her caregiver for the two years leading up to her passing and knowing that she had stage four cancer and that her 
it was going to be very challenging for her. I thought I had pre-processed some of the grief that I was expecting to feel um, before her passing. And when I realized that that wasn't really possible or I hadn't really done that, um, I just knew I had to not rush the grief process. And I just needed to give myself a little bit more latitude and uh, in the things that I was whatever I was going to do. It just could be anything. It didn't have to be an athletic pursuit. I just had to give myself a little bit more room to try things, a little bit more room to fail at things. And um, so I think I just went into this daily 5k challenge with, you know, even though I was imposing this thing that I had to go out and do every day, I just, you know, I didn't want to set rules that were too strict. If it meant I just went out and walked quietly for 5k, that was fine. I mean, it was just, I just, um, it didn't have to be some crazy athletic pursuit. And yeah. And I think, you know, just going out every day, just having that time to, time to reflect time to, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, if Yeah. Are are you able to look on um are you able to look on the positives here because you would be entirely entitled to just say life is cruel and it's unfair and you know it's not it's not fair to have to see somebody that you've been has been your soulmate since you were 15 16 go through this and and have to be there and they pass away early um yeah. are you how are you, if you were able to were you able to trans translate that into some kind of appreciation and joy for life um yeah and if so and somebody else is going through anything similar or about to go you know to who knows who might stumble on this show somebody who's a caregiver right now yeah. um what kind of tips you know what kind well not tips i'm sorry that's that's again try what kind of what what can you share about that well i guess in you asking this and i didn't really mention it before and i think you know, part of doing the 5k day was for me personally, but it was also a way to, um, you know, trace the, her battle with cancer and the treatments that she went through because they were focused on her head and neck. And she went through some very intense radiation. And there were many times during the course of the two years that she was very close to dying, um, I mean, extremely, extremely close. And she never gave up um, fighting. She never, you know, the percent, you know, when the percentages and what the doctors were willing to try, I mean, she just never gave up, not until, I mean, she just never gave up. And so when I went out and I was doing the 5K every day, it was really, it was, um, it was a way to sort of, I guess, memorialize her every day for me personally. Um, and yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry I, about no, asking, it's, about it's, asking no, it's, this. I'm, yeah, it's yeah. fine. It, it, you know, watching someone and Tracy was not athletic, um, kind of hated to do things outside, um, but she fought harder um, that I, you know, than I probably could. And just to watch someone really not give up every single day and to just fight and to push and to, 
question what her doctors were saying and to just really, you know, when you talk about, you know, people doing ultras, I mean, she was doing the ultimate ultra. I mean, she was just, um, it was extreme what she went through. And, you, you know, when I started the 5k a day, I mean, 5k a day is nothing, you know, watching what she went through, it's nothing. And so for me to go out and run 5k or 10k in the snow or the rain or the hail, I mean, it's just, it's nothing. It's, you know, it's just, um, you know, on the yeah. scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. You so, seem like you could put that in perspective. You could put the distance or that whatever you were trying to achieve is obviously like you're saying, it's nothing compared to what she Yeah. And so any of those hard days out, you know, out on, you know, when it's hot or it's cold or you're soaked and you, I just, you know, I would think back to, um, you know, what she went through and, um, yeah, it really put things in perspective and it puts things in perspective as far as what our bodies are capable of and how far, you know, how far you can really push things. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, at the core of it, it was, it really, it really inspired me to go out and just, and just, you know, put in, put in the effort every day and, you know, put in the effort on her behalf, put in the effort on my behalf, um, going forward. Um, so yeah, I think, it it made things a lot easier. Um, it made things a lot easier just to to wake up and do it every day and right. to not to not not you know it wasn't it wasn't a chore. And I really I really as I got into the groove of doing it as my body adjusted, I I craved I craved the time of being out there being outside. I craved the time of detaching. I you know my body was craving getting out there and and moving and and. Um, yeah, it became a really important part of my day. And it really, as someone who was sort of navigating that grief process, thinking about what what am I going to do tomorrow? What's going to be my 5K? It really helped give my day some structure, give my week some structure. And um, and then I could just sort of figure out the rest of the things in my day around that. And so it was a really, it was a really important anchor point um, emotionally and physically to just... Right have that every day and to look forward to it and given that it was in the outdoors like you said you're not you're not going on any treadmills you're, you're not more walking because there's bad weather um being outdoors uh did that give you a uh i don't know renewed is the word you didn't say you lost anything but did it give you an appreciation a greater appreciation for nature for the beauty that exists outdoors um you have every right to say no. I do like you know. There was lots of crappy weather, and I was feeling pretty miserable about about the world. But yeah, but I want to. I, I want to. I do want to ask that because when I get out and about, I'm I'm always finding something to appreciate about about this planet that I can't explain. I can't explain why the only planet that so far we've got any hint of any evidence that we get to live. <laughs> had some kind of existence on um, yeah. humans humans do like being outdoors for the most part and they do seem to appreciate views did you did you have that kind of re you know did, did, did it bring you those moments of clarity of like this the can the place the world can be beautiful yeah for sure um you know i think i always i, I already had a a pretty deep appreciation for the outdoors but you know i mentioned not really being a runner prior to this I always thought running was boring. I thought like it's too slow. Everything passes by too slow. And once I started running and forcing myself to 
sort of slow down in that moment, I actually became, you know, I, I started to appreciate the slowness of running. And I say that in comparison to cycling or skiing or whatever, just anything that moves a little bit faster. And so, yeah, I definitely appreciated just slowing down and, and moving through the nature or the place, you know, the Catskill Mountains um, and really taking things in and you hear things differently when you're hiking or, or running than, than you would when you're cycling or skiing. And so, yeah, the, the audible sounds and just the physicality of, of moving a little bit slower. Um, yeah, I sort of gained that appreciation, which I didn't really have have before in, yeah, the, same, little, in little, the same way. Yeah, a little question to that. Did you give yourself permission to listen to music or podcasts or something if you wanted to, or did you put a ban on that and say, I'm, gonna, I'm going out in nature? No, I'm... For the most part, I, yeah, I rely on, you know, as you are, I'm a pretty, uh, I have a pretty uh, deep affection for music. So music really kind of moves me uh, through the mountains and certainly, you know, I think sort of can settle into a music that has a certain, you know, beats per minute that, that mm -hmm. I can run to or, or ski to. Um, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not much of a books on, you know, books on tape or audiobooks person when I'm outside um moving but but music is is a big part um sometimes right. it's silence though sometimes silence is is really is really nice um if you just want to get lost in your thoughts and or just kind yeah. of have a blank slate out there yeah yeah i find sometimes it's uh, really enjoyable just to go in the in in the quiet now yeah. um some on on that post that you put out after finishing the 500 days you actually listed the um the the way you 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 know because obviously you kept a record of what you've done over the year. Um, yep. over the, sorry, over what started as a year and became 500 days. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to read, read a little bit of this off. Cycling, yeah. 1,968 yeah. miles. Hiking, 479 miles. Backcountry skiing, 391 miles. That's a lot. Running, mm -hmm. 261. I mean, that's, uh, what's that, half a mile every day on average. That's, that's, you know, that's not bad. Alpine skiing which is what we call you know, on-piste, mm -hmm. um, 222 miles. That, again, mm -hmm. is a, a lot. Mm -hmm. I never really measured my skiing, but mm -hmm. I know the longest trails in the Catskills are like about two miles. Mm -hmm. uh, canoeing, 21 miles, and surfing, six miles. Didn't know you could actually measure your surfing, but <laughs> I, I come to that as a non-surfer. In the yeah. old days, you'd have had to guess an awful lot of that. That's a pretty wide range of sports, Jamie. Kudos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I think, you know, that was part of what was fun too, is just to think about what other ways can I get out there and do it. And so the canoeing was a three-day um, solo canoe trip um, through some of the Adirondack um, lakes and ponds, um, which was really wonderful. And not listening to music uh, for those three days and just paddling by myself and camping on some of the islands up there. And that was uh, a really fun way to to spend some of those days, um, yeah, surfing out in Hawaii, spending a week surfing, paddling and surfing, um, was great. And yeah, the, you know, backcountry skiing certainly logged a lot of miles. Um, you know, I've been spending more time up in the Adirondacks, uh, backcountry skiing, and there's a bit more of a requirement, um, distance wise to ski into the Adirondack park and ski out before you can even ascend or descend some of those mountains. It just, you know, sometimes getting in is a, a few miles each way. Um, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, logging a lot more time uh, up there and, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sh for sure. I want to ask you, uh, and uh, just a, you know, quick, 
exactly on these. The uh, similar question I asked about doing the the, the 3500s. Um, do you have one favorite day of all those 500 days? Was there one like challenge that was, you know, that was just whether it was the, the beauty of it or the fact that you pulled something off you hadn't expected to or just for once everything came together? You know, I'm going to, I have a favorite moment. Um, it was actually, it was on the the, the, the 500th day. <laughs> um, and during this whole period, I, you know, I had run a half marathon or it was equivalent of a half marathon as part of this 50 mile team race. And so I'd, I'd run around 13 miles for that race. And one day on my own, I ran 15 miles, but 15 miles was, was the farthest I had, I had ever run during the during this period of time. And on day 498, I woke up and, you know, I had been saying to people for years, I, I have no interest in, in doing a marathon ever. I just don't really, it doesn't really interest me. And on day 498, I woke up and I looked at the weather for that week. And I said like, what am I going to do on day 500? And I told someone that I was thinking about running a marathon that day. And I just, I got up on day 500 and went out on my own, um, sort of an unsupported marathon. And around mile 22, I -hmm. ran most of the marathon on the Ashokan rail trail, which is uh, about 11, 11 miles each way. And I ran a little bit um, past that off the road. And on the way back around mile 22 or so, I came across on the trail probably about 50 elementary school kids and they were probably out on the on the Ashokan Rail Trail as part of a science field trip and they lined up on either side and as I passed between them they just sort of parted ways because they saw me running down the trail and their teachers were there and they and there yeah. probably about 25 or 30 kids on either side of the trail and as I passed through them one of them just started to clap and then the next one started to clap and halfway through this gate of kids i had 50 school kids <laughs> clapping and cheering me on they had no idea that i was running a marathon for the first time in my life that i was you know a mile or two from finishing it that this was day 500 <laughs> that you know this is something that i had you know that had a lot of emotional weight for me and they just cheered Earnestly how, cheering how and clapping and totally for me beautiful as I that, is. Uh, that is serendipity to the uh, point that some people will say that's you know that's beyond that's beyond coincidence. Yeah. Serendipity. There are there are certainly people. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame you for being one of them who would say you know that is various stars aligning and you know a message yeah. being sent out. When those moments happen, somebody wrote on um, somebody I know wrote a column just this past weekend on. You know the, the the coincidences that have happened in his life that you just go those can't be coincidences they're just too bizarre. Yeah. But yours is yeah. that that's just that's just beautiful. It could have you know it it, it like you say it could have been any other day that that had happened. But uh, um, I thought you were going to say mile twenty two. You know you 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 hit the wall because we've all been there and you didn't think you could get yeah. through it and then you know, well you I was hitting of, the wall because I <laughs> because I ran out of. You know, water at about mile twenty because I, Ooh. you know, didn't want to carry too much water, yeah. and so yeah, things things were slowing down, and I was suffering a little bit, and so yeah, it was a great, it was a great pick me up. It was exactly what oh, I needed. That is so and beautiful, really, and yeah, I, I, perfect. Yeah, that is so beautiful. Oh, that's that's a wonderful story. Uh, 
I I do have to ask you, what is the secret to not getting injured over those 500 days, at least not to the point that you had to take a break? I'm sure half the amateur athlete world, athletic world wants to know that. And the other, the other, well, actually, yeah, I think about 99% of them want to know. Was it slowing down? Yeah, Was it going um, slow enough? You, I don't, you just try not to think too hard about it, I think. Um, and I, you know, I did injure myself running too hard and too fast and had to spend um, about a month, a month and a half cycling and and or and or walking um i i couldn't run um for about a month and a half and that was just me going out and trying to you know getting a little cocky trying to run yeah, yeah. you know giving myself some really challenging times and not being you know not being smart about it so yeah i did have to switch switch gears and spend about a month and a half just purely cycling which i was able to to do um but no no you know catastrophic injuries and I, yeah i just tried not to think about it yeah, yeah the number just, the the number one thing luck is on your side. Yeah, well maybe luck was on your side, maybe experience. The number one thing you learn there is when you do mess up, when you do overdo one sport. Cross training is actually the key to everything. I I have had no interest to put on a running streak. I run three I pretty much run every other day, maybe four times a week. But <clears throat> I'm a big 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 believer in cross training. Um yeah. now more so than ever as I get older and I realize like the importance of the whole body being 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 strong and being trim and not just my legs and uh, yeah. so you know that's an automatic thing if you if if one part of you is feeling feeling sore mix it up mix it up and and yeah, uh, yeah that will work um, I, an incredible uh, an incredible achievement um, and a lovely achievement and a beautiful tribute um, of itself I don't think that would be enough for a local magazine to call you a renaissance man though it might call it might call you a great athlete an amateur athlete mm-hmm. um somewhere down the line you decided to pick up a camera and um mm-hmm. you've seen your Instagram account's beautiful I could not believe you would you haven't been a professional photographer for decades um nice. but you've got these incredible wildlife photographs um when did you pick up the camera and and uh what's your Midas touch, Jamie? I mean, how did you, how did you you figure this out so quickly? The, 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 I should say the pinned picture on your Instagram, that means the very first one people will see on your account shows you with Uh a, what I will call a proper camera as opposed to one on a phone. Um, Is that part of it? Are these pictures all taken with a, um, an expensive standalone camera um just some couple of quick quick things and these probably can be tips how do you teach yourself and did you get lucky or do you have the Midas touch <laughs> uh i'm not sure i'm you know i just um the camera in the photography thing you're right it's it's very new for me um after tracy passed um i guess the the first thing that i did to just i guess help myself is uh, about a month later i I ordered a camera and just decided that I was going to kind of throw myself into photography, learning how to use a camera, um, taking photographs and making some some short films. And so I really just um, just spent, you know, went outside every day with this brand new camera in hand and I needed something to practice just learning how to use the camera. I just had no idea technically how to use the camera. And so I just went outside every day and started taking pictures of birds and, you know, the animals um, in the woods where, where I live. And um, 
and just started to at the same time sort of um, sort of fall in love with nature and wildlife photography. It wasn't really my intent, um, but they were they sort of were my muse and um, yeah and. You know, it just sort of dovetailed into this idea of getting outside every day, and um, which I love to do. And so, yeah, just throwing myself into it. Obviously, lots of YouTube videos, really trying to get up to up to speed quickly on on the technical technical aspects of it. Can I? Can I? Do, do you mind my asking? What's the uh, that camera that we see there? Um, well, you you do look a little bit like a serious photographer there in that <laughs> picture. You look so like I, a yeah yeah so i, I shoot with canon uh, i originally started with a canon r6 and yeah. i've since picked up a uh second camera body so I, I mostly use the canon r5 um so i use two cameras and when i'm out in the in the woods shooting wildlife i'm using a 100 to 500 millimeter telephoto lens um, a canon lens which is great it's compact and yeah it's, it's a wonderful lens so roughly how much um money would somebody have to put down to get that gear i think it's fair to ask yeah i mean you know this gear certainly a few thousand dollars right. um but you know you, do, you don't have to do you know you don't have to throw down that kind of money to get a decent camera and be able to go out and, and shoot some wildlife um so yeah you know and which so which so so did the photography lead into the fact that you're also making short films now, or was it the other way around? It was, it was sort of the other film. way around. I knew I wanted to try to make some short films, and filmmaking is can be complex, and so it really just started with taking some pictures to get myself comfortable with using the camera, and um, a few months into that first winter I made a, a short film um, when I was out west and yeah and I've, I go back and forth um, I've completed three short films to date and I currently have five uh, films that I'm working on right now that are all in different stages some are cyclical and I'm just I'm doing and filming during the winter time and um, so I'm sort of bouncing around between five different short film projects when I say short films these are films that are as short as three minutes and some of them will probably end up being seven to 10 or 15 minutes. Um, yeah. But... The ones, the, the three that you put out so far are essentially profiles of people. Yeah. Um, but they're obviously profiles of interesting people. What's the, uh, what's the governing, like, cause I don't think it, there is, there, is there an overarching title? I don't think there is. I think there's just three films no, with three names. Really, it's mostly just people that really just, that I just find interesting and fascinating people that have occupations or are pursuing something that is maybe a little bit unusual or the combination of their occupation and what they're pursuing outside of their occupation is just an, you know, an interesting combination. So, yeah, I, I mean, the Catskills, as you know, is someone that, you know, lives and sort of works here. And it's just, it's so, it's so rich with so many different folks doing different things and um yeah and i'm just trying to get to know them in sometimes in a little bit of a different light than maybe they have been um in the past and and i just i love being able to just spend time and um just yeah just become immersed in, in some some of their lives and it's really yeah um, the three really you've made the three you've made so far you've got the ciderist Mm -hmm. which I found fascinating. That's about a, a, a woman who's got a uh, 
very, uh, 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 I guess, extremely minimal intervention, natural um, cider orchard, uh, making alcoholic cider um, here in the Catskills. But living, she certainly spent uh, a winter or two in um, <laughs> what looks like a sort of wheelbarrow <laughs> with a bit of a roof over it. Um, yeah. Seriously yeah. Living in an off- off-grid situation, yeah. yeah. Living in a pretty minimal off-grid situation, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that you know, that's fascinating hearing somebody's motivations. I actually thought she would be a great guest um, for the show as well, just because mm-hmm. of, t- you know, taking on something like that. You've got a needle felter, which is an mm-hmm. occupation most of us would not have uh, been able to name, mm-hmm. um, of which the most interesting probably, you know, aspect is how many times she has poked herself mm-hmm. um and maybe i'll uh, yeah obviously there'll be links for these uh the ski guy which speaks more to your own hobbies that's somebody who uh, got really into the idea of uh, uh tuning skis somebody who really 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 enjoys that and um i think circling back around to where we started one of your uh, subjects you're working with right now is one of one of the people who has been on this podcast before right the one i mentioned yeah. earlier so I've been filming with Julia McGuire, who you mentioned was a podcast guest of, of yours. And Julie has also been uh, backcountry skiing, like the Catskill Mountains. So we spent uh, a lot of time filming last winter and we will pick up again this winter and continue filming. And Julie is, I believe, has five mountains left in her quest to ski the back, uh, the Catskill 3500s. And which as far as I know, would make her the third person to do it behind myself and my brother and certainly the first woman to do it so um yeah it's been really wonderful getting to know julie um as a friend and as a subject of film and just to see someone pursue the goal on on their own terms as well yeah she's um she's a very uh popular person up here i think she had the distinction of becoming the 35th hundredth member of the catskill yep, 3500 right. club which again yeah. was serendipity it was not it was not planned yeah um exactly. but uh uh what, what's your motivation for making the movies i mean aren't you aren't you aren't you doing enough that's <laughs> that's unpaid <laughs> yeah i i don't know i just so there's a guy it's... who hosts two, two podcasts <laughs> completely unpaid is about to start a third. Yeah, it, I think it's just, you know, it's one of those, it's it's an itch that I kind of need to scratch. I think at this point in my life, my career, I'm giving myself uh, a little bit of latitude to take on some projects and pursuits like, like this that aren't uh, necessarily uh, money-bearing pursuits. Um and yeah, I think, I mean, we all need challenges in our life, whether it's physical or emotional or mental. And, you know, this is certainly me getting into filmmaking, especially sort of later in life is um, technically it's a big challenge and storytelling is a big challenge and producing film. I mean, there's so much, so many aspects to filmmaking that are, are challenging and I'm, um, you know, I'm sort of taking them all on because I'm, I'm sort of producing, filming, directing, editing everything uh, on my own, at least to date. That's how I've worked. So, um, yeah, I think we just, you know, we need to give ourselves challenges in life. And this is just one of them. And I really enjoy um, just, you know, getting to know some of the folks around here in just a, a, a different way and really, really digging, digging a little bit deeper with them. Tracy was uh, an aspiring writer. And um, she did get a piece published in the New York Times, 
uh, later on. It it was related to her illness and did the difficulties with with eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there is something. I, I think the correct word I was looking for at the very start of the show is an award. There's uh, there's something that uh, is in her name. Can you tell yeah. us about that? And I feel that yeah. would be a nice place to to bring it back to Tracy. Yeah. So just, you know, a few months before Tracy passed, um, she had been working, uh, she had been taking some writing classes and had a really wonderful writing teacher and mentor who was encouraging her to submit a piece to the New York Times, which she did and uh, was published in the Sunday New York Times Opinion um, in the print and online. Um, And, um, you know, she pursued writing when she couldn't really do anything else, she was sort of um, confined to um, confined to being in bed, and she continued to pursue writing and trying to get published in places like the New York Times. And it was a really important part of um, a really important part of her life, and gave her you know gave her a reason to you know get up and keep trying every day. And so, in that spirit, um, um, with my friends out at the Spruston Inn, um, which is on uh, Spruston Road near Hunter Mountain in, in Westkill. Um, Spruston Inn runs an artist residency every year, um, inviting artists um, up to spend a week um, sort of in solitude and to be able to hone their craft and writing in 2D. And so I partnered with them and um, there is an award called the Tracy Kennard Emerging Writers Award. And that is given out to one of the residents uh, of the program there to get one-on-one writing and coaching uh, and feedback on a piece that they're working on or that they worked on while they were um, part of the residency. And yeah, I just want to, um, you know, continue to help inspire um, younger and or emerging writers that are new to the craft and to really um, just encourage them to keep keep pursuing. Yeah, and speaking as a writer who... Um often uh, uh, procrastinates and and gets outdoors and does something outdoorsy rather than yeah. write. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I, I obviously uh, uh, thoroughly approve and applaud. And I think, uh, you know, between all of this, you've got the sort of the, the brain and the brawn, you know, you've got the cerebral and whatever the, 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 uh, the antonym is for, for the cerebral, um, <clears throat> the, I I love that that Tracy is memorialized uh, with the award, and that uh, hopefully hopefully it can help create some writers to you know have the writing life that I'm sure she would like to have had had, had she had a uh, the full life that uh, that we all set out thinking we're, we're going to get and uh, and then you've also got this uh, this sort of wonderful um, uh, streak that you went on 505ks of all kinds from surfing to skiing skiing on piece off piece that's you know alpine and backcountry and running and hiking and biking and you know, whatever else we didn't mention there it's uh you know to to pay it pay your own kind of you know f- physical tribute and to keep yourself going and um you know, hopefully at the end of this, uh, you've, you've, I mean, at the end of that 500 days, at least, and where we are today, whatever it is, 4th of December, 2023, you find yourself in a reasonably okay place. Um, all things considered. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm in a, I think a really wonderful place right now. I think, you know, just um, personally kind of, you know, two plus years um, of working through you know, the, the grief process and, you know, 
just physically I'm in a, in a better place. I've sort of had all these adventures along the way and I've sort of pushed myself to I don't know, enjoy different aspects of, of being outside. Um, and yeah, I think it's been, you know, doing all these things um, for me personally has been a, you know, a, just a really, um, a really nice way to, to honor Tracy's life and the hard work that she's done and just the way that, you know, she has um, inspired me as a partner and a person um, and just to be able to carry some of that forward um, with, you know, the things that I'm pursuing, pursuing these days. Um, so yeah, things are, yeah, things are in a, in a much better spot now, but you know, it's, it took a lot of work and um, yeah, I think I would just, you know, for anyone that's listening that is going through some sort of difficult time or that grief process, they're just, you just keep working on it, just chip away every, every day. And, you know, the way that I did it is just the way that I did it. It's not the right way. Um, but it, it, you know, it, 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 worked it worked for you. Yeah, it worked for me. Um, and maybe there's an aspect of that that might work for someone, someone else. Thank you. I think that's a lovely place to leave it. So there you have it, everybody. My interview with Jamie. I trust that you got something out of that. As I always trust you get something out of these shows. They do jump around a little bit in terms of the content. It's travel. It's outdoors. It's uh, nature. It's uh, making a difference. It's making a change in your life. And um, you know, I think pretty much all of those things have applied to Jamie. Now I do want to invite you again, as you would have heard uh, in a little, um, the little pre-roll that was right at the start of the show please 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 do head over to tonyfletcher.substack.com not just because i want subscribers and i want readers over there and lots of what we talk about in this episode will be there as part of the midweek update number 20 that you can look for if you're listening as this show comes out in the first week of december 2023 just uh, that should be pretty much the first post second post that you will see over there because that way i can put up a couple of the videos we're talking about here i can certainly put up um uh, some pictures that I'm referencing. I've even got the playlist that uh, uh, one of one of uh, Tracy's playlists up there for the holidays 2023. So that's part of the reason I'm inviting you over there. And then also it is kind of yeah important to me. I feel like uh, I qualify as some kind of a writer slash broadcaster slash musician slash creative and having a home over on Substack helps me kind of get my my creative output to the people who want it as opposed to just putting it out in this sort of internet ether or out onto a god's forsaken social media page that doesn't really want to share it because it's got external links so it's got too many words and doesn't just have a pretty picture of a cat you know what i'm talking about tonyfletcher.substack.com the basic sign up is completely free it's optional if you want to be a paid subscriber and get the uh, the bonus podcast that's launching right now uh called cross channels myself with my musical friend dan epstein and that one is talking music i should let you know but you can certainly pick up an enormous amount of free content while you are over there the theme music to this particular episode is A Word That Doesn't Rhyme by The Dear Boys. It's the opening music to our latest single. And yes, I did say ah, um, as I mentioned just a moment ago, 
I'm a musician. This is my transatlantic band, loving it dearly. Haha. <laughs> Having a wonderful time with it and hope you dig it too. And with that, I would just say that the next episode will be dropping at the start of next month, uh, pretty much whenever you hear this, though in real time right now, that'll be January 2024. Hard to believe we're there already, isn't it? And if you are listening to this as the episode drops, I want to wish you a happy holidays this current December. I want to wish you a happy new year, given that this show won't be back till um 2024 and i want to keep assuring you that we will keep i will keep positively engaging with the world outside our door and uh, i look forward to you continuing to be part of the ride thanks for listening this far see you next time bye bye